Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I am Natalie Millersnell, and you are listening to Seize the Day. Now, joining me today is author of Simplifying Coaching. She's been coaching for over 30 years and would describe herself as a human who facilitates other people's thinking, which I love. Co-founder of 3D Coaching, who specialise in team coaching and supervision, amongst many other things. Please put your hands together for the absolutely incredible Claire Pedrick. Thank you. What Round of applause. What a welcome. <laughs> oh no, it looks quite dreary outside, but yeah, <laughs> lifting us both up. It's great to be with you, Natalie. Thank you for having me. It's a true delight, actually. And I mentioned to Claire just before we started recording this, I was just watching an interview with you when you released your book, um, Simplifying Coaching, uh, a couple of years ago. And honestly, I felt so inspired listening to you talk and how you approach the, the subject matter of coaching, but just generally the conversation aspects that we can have on a human to human basis L lifted me up so much this morning. It was really wonderful to watch and listen to. So I'm thrilled to have you on. Well, so thrilled. <laughs> totally. Now, as part of the show, I, I always find it fascinating to understand how people get to where they are in their life, their lived experience, what informs us, what's impacted us, what's, you know, got us here. And curiously, I don't know if you've ever done this, I, and I don't know how accurate this uh, this uh, this uh, data is now, but 11,000 hours is what I read. You've done at least 11,000 hours of coaching. Is it That's, more than that now? Oh, yeah, it's probably, I don't know, 16,000. I don't know. I don't know. I, I stopped counting. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, well, on 11,000 alone, I converted it. That's 460 days, 65 weeks, 15 months, or 1.25 years of coaching. So that's now 50% increase. Oh my, so you're like two years worth of coaching. That's phenomenal. Day and night, right? <laughs> yeah, day and night. Yeah, exactly. The whole thing, not sleeping or anything. So I'm really curious, how did you get to this point, Claire? What, what is it? What's the life story for you? Whatever's important for you to share? Well, that's quite a big question, isn't it? Yeah. So I was coaching for 10 years before I knew that it was coaching I was doing. Ah. Um, and I just had the most wonderful job uh, talking to people who wanted to work in overseas development. Uh, and the job was called information and counselling. So there was a bit of giving out information. So if you want to be a plumber in Africa, these are, I, I had a, a, well, we didn't have a database because it was pre-technology, you know? <laughs> <laughs> wow, those days. I had a lever arch file with lists in them. Uh, and color so, coordinated. Yeah. <laughs> and then if people if people wanted information, I gave them information. But lots of what I was doing was listening to people mm. and and offering them back what they'd said so that they could be clearer about what they were doing. So of course, I know now that was career coaching, but I didn't know that then. And mm. so that's <laughs> So that's why I've got so many hours. So when I went for my professional accreditation as a coach, I wasn't allowed to count those hours because I wasn't trained and I didn't tell anyone I was coaching because I didn't know that was a word. Wow. And then after I got my accreditation, I felt with integrity I could backfill those numbers back in because it was coaching. Yeah. So so I didn't use it for the credential, but, you know, it's part of my story. And actually some mm -hmm. of the things that I do now, I learned then. Yeah. 
That's really interesting, actually. And I, I love, as you mentioned, there, the integrity part of it to to honour the the uh, the credential and the accreditation part by literally listing what you know and you can call officially as coaching under the the training aspect. But actually, your lived experience, how you've been informed, and what you can recognise as what you've contributed and how that space operated, is extremely valuable as well. Yeah, because. There is something, isn't there, about integrity? You know, if this is the rules, then I'll then I'll I'll respect them, but and I'll disagree, and then I'll find a way to navigate my way around that. <laughs> Healthy disagreement is absolutely relevant and necessary in life for sure, and that challenge part definitely yeah. to keep people fresh thinking, keep us on our toes. And I like the fact that you also use this expression thinking. And certainly from the video that I just watched as well, and how you approach the space when you're talking with somebody, um, you, you're facilitating their thinking. And there was something, was it a conversation that you had with somebody who was perhaps coming to the coaching space for the first time? And they referred to the fact that more often than not, maybe it was in a, a professional environment, perhaps it was the doctor's but we often are barely trained in having or having the ability to have conversations. Yeah, and of course, Simplifying Coaching came out in 2020, um, and I've learned a lot since then. Gotcha. <laughs> and I do less now than I did even when that book came out. Right. Um, but, you know, many people have to have conversations at work that require them to have, com you know, to, to be in dialogue, but actually we're not trained to do that. Mm. You're trained to do the technical bit, but you're not trained to 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 have a really good conversation. So I've recently met Catherine Mannix, who's a palliative care doctor who wrote Listen. Okay. And we've had some really interesting conversations. In fact, she's been a guest on my podcast and she's also written an endorsement for the new book, which I'm super excited about. Wow. But, you know, she's talking about doctors not being trained to have conversations. And she did a really interesting piece of work during COVID where she was rolling out some training nationally for um, for medics about how to communicate with families right. when 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 patients were coming into hospital with COVID, you know, right at the beginning when it was really hit and miss and tricky and difficult and all those things. And. We've got to be, a, we've got to learn to have better conversations. And I, I was working in the NHS on Friday, the National Health Service, and um, they go, we realise we're fixers and it doesn't work mm. in dialogue. It works when somebody needs you to say, put that there and do this and take this pill, then it does work. But it doesn't work when you work like that with colleagues. <laughs> because... Because all they think is that you know everything and I know nothing and therefore I will just let you tell me what to do. And then they go home and say to their partner, none of my colleagues will take responsibility for anything. <laughs> yeah. Of course that's they a, won't. Yeah. That's a really valuable point. There's definitely a space and a necessity for that kind of the learning environment or the the advice and the directive environment. However, more often than not, as we're engaging in a conversation here, although I'm really keen to hear more from you actually than my voice, or, or just there is that listening, the conversation and enabling piece and actually empowering someone to use their own genius, their own thinking. But we, tra we, we train people not to think and then we get cross that they're not thinking. <laughs> And do you know, it's fascinating you say that. I've had it recently with quite a few folk I've been working with when uh, the pause happens. So there's the silence, that beautiful silence that we have. 
And they then almost feel that they need to apologize and say, hang on, I'm, I'm just thinking. I'm like, take your time. This is magic what you're doing. Yeah. Allow the thought to come. But yeah, it's so true, isn't it? That we, the, the speed. And we interrupt people's thinking, but we won't interrupt them speaking because we were taught, you know, many of us were taught children, don't interrupt, don't interrupt. We think it's rude to interrupt. So we never interrupt when somebody's talking. But when they're thinking, we interrupt all the time. <laughs> And then they don't. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? We live in a very sophisticated society and we, you know, we've, that you can have artificial intelligence and whatever, whatever, whatever. But we still haven't learned how to let somebody else think. Yeah. On that, what is, how would you describe for anyone listening? There'll be coaches listening to this. There'll be folk who aren't in the coaching in the in the coaching world as well listening. What is at the heart of a great conversation or a coaching space that somebody might actually be like you were before you were able to name coaching, doing themselves in the workplace at home with friends? What is at the heart of that conversation and or coaching piece? Would you say? I can let, let me go at it in a few different ways. So on one level, it's facilitating someone else to think. So it's a conversation between two people that's only about one of us. And that's what makes it quite different from lots of other conversations. So we're in a dialogue here. There's a bit about you. There's a bit about me. There's a bit about what we're kind of talking about together. But in coaching, mm -hmm. it's about the it's about one person. It's not about both of us. So that's kind of unique. But one of the things that I am I'm playing with at the moment around what's great coaching Great coaching is, is me doing the least that I can do so that you feel heard and that you, you get some insights into your own stuff that's going to move you forward. Mm -hmm. And that's all it is. And there are thousands and millions of definitions that are really big and they've got huge words in them and they're all really difficult to understand. <laughs> yeah. It's not that, it's not that complicated. And actually being able to get to the heart of a conversation really simply so that the other person absolutely recognises that this is their work that they're doing is, is magic. But a lot of coaching makes it look as though the magic comes from the coach because the coach has special secret superpowers yeah. that, they will, that they will do to you and, it, and, and th them doing that makes the change happen it, that's complete no it doesn't what makes the change happen is the internal shift that happens in the person if we give them space to do that but that's yeah. hard yeah and I wanted to touch on that because we don't have that so often in general conversation it feels like it's quite unique and then therefore that space that you, you know when you're in that coaching environment the imbalance sometimes can present itself because we talk often about, you know, arriving, it's a level playing field. You know, I'm not an expert in you. Uh, this is me here listening to you at that active listening piece and you finding the solutions. However, I heard you say, which I thought was really, really landed with me, actually, that often because of this kind of setup and how we've experienced life and conversation, perhaps, it's the other person who arrives looking at you at a higher level is not higher level. That's not perhaps a great way to describe it, but coming in. So how do you make that adjustment? Because if you come in expecting me to be the expert and then I tell you for the next 10 minutes that I'm not the expert, 
you still think I'm the expert because I just taught you for 10 minutes that I am. Yeah. So, so, so I was working last week with some really, really wonderful and experienced people. And I, I just said to them, it, it begins by the email that you send and whatever you send out beforehand, as well as in the beginning of the conversation, because the more you tell people things, the more they think that you're going to tell them. Mm. So you've just got to kind of show up naked, really. You've, we, ha- we need to demonstrate that we are simply the, the facilitator of the process. And yeah. You know, so if if you if I'm coaching you and I and you come to our first conversation, I say I need to tell you I have twenty qualifications, and these are my qualifications, and I need to explain to you, Natalie, that that coaching isn't therapy and it isn't this and it isn't this. So I need to tell you that this is this, and I need to tell you that if you tell me anything that worries me, I will disclose it, and but it will be confidential, and I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to tell you that, and I'm going to tell you the other. Now, what would you like to think about? (laughs) You're going to go, tell me. Because I've modelled that I'm telling you. I love, uh, uh, I had my 60th birthday last year and post-birthday, I kind of, I'm doing work differently. Not that different. Well, I'm just working with different kinds of people. And and I, I do a lot of work with coaches to help coaches get better at what they do, because that is just a passion of mine. That's where I want to change the world. I want coaches to do less and I want them to facilitate other people to do more. That's, that's, that's my, my thing for the next, however long. And I listen to recordings with coaches and it's even the smallest thing that we do at the beginning of the conversation can switch the partnership from being in partnership to me having more power than you accidentally and it's tiny things like you go I'm really stressed I've had a really busy weekend and I said well why don't we do a breathing exercise before we begin I led you're following me and they'll say the coach will say something was weird in this conversation I don't know what it is and you'll hear and it could be that you meet somebody face to face and you say um this doesn't feel like a very good room let's go somewhere else that's leading. Whereas if you say, shall we go somewhere else? That's working in partnership. So partnership really, really matters. And we can blow it really easily by mistake. It's curious you frame it in such a brilliant way, actually. And it's got me thinking massively. And I wrote down earlier, language is really important to me. And the language that we use, the terminology we use, the words that we use, how that can all have a really huge impact potentially on somebody might not on another person but the words we use can really have such an important place in the in the space listening to you then and how we communicate what we're doing in that space and asking rather than offering or or, sorry even telling rather yeah because we can offer a few things not informing and actually saying in a directive way you know we need to do this but it's asking and allowing that person to actually make the decision and suggest okay where where do you want to go or put the options out there that's that's really powerful you're you're planting all the spoilers on my new book am i (laughs) sorry (laughs) that's brilliant 
I haven't read it yet. I'm not really good. I've only wanted to read it. <laughs> you should be writing it, not me, because you're asking some great questions there. Yeah, well, well as, as great segue. Let's talk a bit about the book then. And I do want to talk about simplifying coaching also as well, that simplicity piece that you've mentioned. What you're writing at the moment, and we spoke literally before we started to record, that Claire's got a deadline coming up and you've got a few things that you need to now tweak. How's it going and what's the premise of the book? So I'm writing it with another coach called Lucia Baldelli from Italy. And uh, we we started writing a different book and then we didn't like it. So, <laughs> so we changed it. So it was, it's, it was about coaching mastery, but now you read the word master in the introduction, it goes, we won't use that word ever again now. Yeah. I um, it's, it's about what needs to change on the inside for us to be able to, to be able to do this, this work in a way that's in partnership. So half the book's about things that we change on the inside, that we places that we grow and develop on the inside. And the other half is about what partnership looks like and what it sounds like. And one of the things is about, we have to make an offer. So a question is an offer. And one of the things that I've learned from listening to thousands of recordings is that many questions look like an offer, but they don't sound like an offer. Okay. What's the distinction there? So if I say to you, this is just an example, not because it's true, by the way. Okay, (laughs) go for it. So if I say you're tired, Mm. that is me pronouncing, and that's a statement. But if I say you're tired, that's an offer. And you go, no, I'm not tired, I'm this. So how we, what what the thing sounds like is a huge piece of development. So what I notice is that you can, that, that a lot of training out there is use this model, use that model, here are 27 brilliant questions, here's this, here's that. But, but there's, I've not, I've personally not heard anything about what it sounds like. And of course, people don't really pay attention much to the words. They pay attention to the sound. So the thing that interested me when I started talking to Lucia about the book was what, in the coaching tribe that I'm in, Mm. they use um, transcripts and recordings to Mm. notice the quality of coaching. And what I noticed was that you'd look at a transcript and it looked absolutely brilliant, really amazing. And then you'd listen to the recording and it just wasn't. Mm. So what is it that makes the transcript look great, but the conversation not flow? And, th- and so that was the kind of beginning of, the, of where the book came from. I really love that. And you've got me thinking about, I hope I pronounced the name correctly. Is it Dr. Albert Mahrabian? In the oh, sixes, yeah. The three V's. Yeah. In terms of how we communicate and the study. Yeah. And if I if I understand what if I, if I remember correctly, actually not understand that we've got the we've got the verbal, we've got the vocal and then we've got the visual. Yeah. And actually, to, to your point on the, the the vocal piece, the tonality of how we're talking and how that comes across as a message in itself, you know, which could be at odds with the verbal. And equally, then the visual aspect of it. And I think the study concluded that. W- when they are each of those three are in conflict 
the one the one that's most dominant and the one that we will most listen to is the visual that we see followed by the vocal followed by the verbal and i think the the visual is something like 55% and maybe the others 20 and then it goes down so it really totally leans into what you say how we're communicating and therefore what what the other person that we're in partnership with and we're working with what they're seeing and hearing and how they then respond Exactly, because we focus far too much as coaches on what we see or hear or sense in them. Mm. But we don't think about the fact that they see or hear or sense stuff in us. Yes. So I'm not going to give you any more spoilers. But no, okay, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. And I'm sitting here as you're giving that reference going, we're already over the word camp. That's a really good thing. To put in, but there is <laughs> Go for it. More edits, more edits. Brilliant. No, I'm not throwing anything else into the editing bucket now. Thank you very much. <laughs> so a, a question for you then, Claire. New coaches perhaps listening or seasons coach, season coaches, because certainly when I listened to you earlier and even now, you know, I'm getting you thinking, I'm getting inspired. They're in a room with somebody having a conversation, be it a professional coaching conversation, be it a work colleague conversation, and they're just stuck. They don't know where to go with it. How does one proceed? Move. Oh. Move. Physically move. Yes, because we freeze. So if I don't know how to proceed and you don't know how to proceed, we've got ourselves into into some real inertia here. Mm. And I know that there's teaching that says, I say to you, so what's the question I should be asking you here? But probably you don't know, because if you did know, you'd probably have started talking. <laughs> so we're frozen. And that just brings in all sorts of weirdness between you and me. You know, I look at you, you look at me. I get performance. We are really going into the whole content of the new book. <laughs> I, get, <laughs> I get performance anxiety. Yeah. You might be paying me to be here. So now I'm thinking, oh, Natalie thinks I'm really rubbish. It's just, yeah. you, you, you just get yourself, it's really awkward. Mm. And uh, there's a guy called Tai Tashiro, and he's written a book called The Science of Being Socially Awkward and Why It Matters or something like that. And he, he says that when we get into that frozen state, uh, you know, we're activated. So now I'm panicking. You're panicking because you think it's your fault. Yeah. I'm panicking because I think it's my fault. We've got to do something different. So I used to teach. So I, I started training coaches in organizations, actually, in 2003. And I can remember. So if anyone's listening who did that course in 2003, please throw your hand out away. Because honestly, <laughs> I don't believe any of it anymore. But, but I used to teach, we used to teach half a day on managing stuckness. Wow, okay. It's complete twaddle. It's actually moving. Shall we go yeah. for a walk? If, or if I move, or if you move, or if we both stand up, there are so many ways of using movement to just unlock this the, the, this. this weird thing that's going on between us yeah. and it works pretty much all the time and you don't have to remember how to do it because it's so simple and the immediate reactivating almost and thinking away from what you're stuck where you're stuck 
brings clarity again exactly. or, or openness almost. Exactly. I was with my dad on Saturday. He's 90. And um, he said, he said, somebody came in and I said to him, oh, who was that? He said, I can't remember the name. I said, well, let's just let's talk about something else. <laughs> and then we talked about something else. And like five minutes later, he went, Brian. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, you know, my dad's, you know, he lives independently and he's, you know, he's he's a very t- intelligent man, but he he knows that he forgets things. And the mm. way to, uh, well, I forget things. Uh, and, the you know, the way to manage that is to just change, is to do something else. Yeah. And then you'll come back to it and then you'll know. So there he was. He remembered. Of course he did because he wasn't thinking about it. Well, and didn't have the pressure. Yeah. But, but the art is that we don't just randomly change the subject because one of the things that I notice in coaching is that there's a moment in every conversation where the game-changing moment is about to happen and you don't know where that is and you don't know when it is, but usually there's only one in a conversation. And often growing coaches will will change the subject and bring in a stock question at that moment when when the discomfort is the thing that's going to is about to bring transformation yeah and they can't tolerate the silence so there's so it really matters to begin to be able to see visually and I like what you said about his verbal visual vocal but it's to see visually and to wonder is this stuckness or is this the moment where if we just hold it for a little bit longer, something is going to unlock? Yeah. And this makes me think about something I wrote down from what you said in the the, um, the conversation I heard earlier. It's the not knowing and being brave. I really like that. Two chapters. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> I really one, love that. Yeah. One is about control and not knowing. Yeah. And the other one is about courage because it's crazy, isn't it? Because we say in coaching, you know, we want the other person to be brave and vulnerable and courageous and all of these things. And then we sit there and we won't be any of those things. Mm. We've, if somebody is truly going to get some really deep insights into their own stuff, I have to, number one, have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. And number two... I have to be really courageous with them because if I'm being careful and cautious and scripted and all of that stuff, we're not going to get there. They might love it. They might go, oh, I loved your questions, Claire. But in three weeks' time, that's not going to have stuck because they were following me and I'm not a guru. And that's wonderful to hear you say that as well, actually. It's, it's, really, it's really fab, actually. Because none of us are, and we're certainly not the guru of the person we're with. Absolutely. We're certainly not the yeah. expert of them. And, you know, you gave me a lovely introduction and you worked out that I've coached for two years. <laughs> Day and night. <laughs> I mean, that's impressive without sleeping. I don't know how to coach anybody. Mm. I don't know how to coach you. I don't know how to coach anyone. I don't know how to coach any of you listeners. I've no idea. Because each of you are a wonderful, unique individual. And the only way to work out how to do any work with anybody is to ask them. But I need to ask them genuinely not having a plan B. And that's where the bravery comes in. Because it's trust in the process. It is. 
Absolutely. And that is outstandingly artful coaching. So you said to me at the beginning, I'm really sorry I didn't send you any questions to think about. Well, I'm really glad that you didn't because we are truly co-creating in this moment. Yeah. And you're riffing off me and I'm riffing off you and we're going wherever we go. And this is in partnership because it's about you and it's about me, although I haven't asked you much about you because you said you wanted to talk about me. But we're kind, of ne- we're kind of negotiating that as we go, aren't we? Yeah. But I'm guessing that when you interviewed your last guest and when you interview your next guest, it will feel different because, because we're co-creating the thing in the moment. Yeah. So, of course, it looks different. So one of the, the developments for me as a coach, going back to a question you asked ages ago, which was how did I get where I am? I think a really big thing for me is, is to absolutely acknowledge and know deep in my soul that I've no idea how to do this with anybody mm. and that we'll work it out. And when people really, really, really get that, then they don't try and take the expert off you because you haven't got any. Oh, oh, that's powerful. Because immediately it changes the, in, the, the absolute dynamic of you two existing in the same space together. Mm-hmm. The energy is different. The arrival is different. The conversation is different. It's about two people coexisting in a space together and working together. And I want you to work very hard. And I will do the least that I need to do for that to be true. And when you start working hard, I'll just watch you. You, go. <laughs> you know, the kind of over to you thing. So when I'm working online, I'll actually often go to the side of the camera because it ind- because if you've started going like you just did then when you went, oh, yeah, I need to back off because if I don't back off, you will stop if I make any gesture or noise that goes, what I've got to say is more important than what you're doing. And it interrupts that beautiful natural flow that's going. Because sometimes when we arrive, and I've experienced this, not through thought of coaching because I over worry and overanalyze things, but in the coaching space, if you do see something, you're like, have I done it right? Yeah. Can I just say, there's one question. There is one question in most coaching conversations that's the game changer that creates the one moment that I've been talking about. Everything else just gets us to that moment. And you don't know what any of those are going to be. And it could be the silence that I just left that made you go. Yeah. So I've said a lot of words in this conversation. But actually, it was the way to it was the it was it was the not speaking when clearly you you'd gone. That let you land what you were learning in that moment. Yes. Super pleased that you've had, you know, that's great. And if and if you don't have another insight in this conversation, that's also great because you had one then and you've scrolled it down and you did whatever you did. You know, job done. In ex- exactly that. Yes. And also listening to what you were saying there. A new coach, experienced coach, anybody for that matter, it takes the pressure off. Yes. Because you just work in the moment dancing in the moment, all of that good stuff. This present moment matters. This is the only thing that matters. We talk about goals. We talk about future. We talk about, I mean, I like to talk about purpose a great deal. And this, I, I believe it's a paradox. We've got this vision for sure. And we need to have that drive. However, this conversation between you and I 
is the most important thing that's happening in my world and in our at this moment and what I take from this and how I listen and how we interact will inform the next movement in my life and what I do. It matters. All you need is a little bit of movement that means that after the conversation is over, you'll keep moving. And actually, more often than not, the biggest part of the coaching is the self-coaching and the, the conversations that take place beyond the coaching space. The best, I've got a little postcard here in front of me. It says the most significant learning happens after we've finished. Oh, I love that. That was a set of postcards I did when I decided I wasn't ever going to write a book. <laughs> and now you are an author. So you've got, uh, brilliant, another great segue, Claire. It's like, it's like you've got this organised. It's brilliant. Um, the first book, Simplifying Coaching. So we've talked a bit about the new one coming up and hopefully not giving away too many spoilers. The original one was very much about doing less. What else can folk take out of that book? What, what, what will they get when they read it? Well, one of the things it talks about is how to begin a conversation so that you're working in partnership and how to begin a conversation so that you both actually know what you're doing. So I, I take my neighbor's dog for a walk every day. And if I let the dog off the lead, well, if I let the dog come out of the house off the lead, she would just go everywhere, all over the place. Mm. And she's like a little rabbit. She bounces around. She's 13 years old and she bounces around like a rabbit. Oh. It makes me joyful every day when I watch her and it makes me smile. But she'd just be all over the place. What I do is I put her on the lead and I take her to where there's a choice. And then I say, then I let her off the lead and basically, which way are we going? And she, she chooses. Yesterday, she went straight into the river. <laughs> that wasn't a choice she'd made before. <laughs> She she likes water. She's never gone into that bit of water before. Now I know she might. <laughs> but but what we're doing is we're we're negotiating together all the time where we're going on the walk. But if you say to somebody, tell me what's going on at the beginning of a conversation, they'll do what you told them because you told them to tell the, to tell you what's going on. So they'll say all these things are going on. And then you'll look at the time and you'll think, oh, my goodness, we've only got 15 minutes left. Oh, dear. And then, you, then you'll say, so let's talk about this. That's leading. People don't always know why they've come to coaching today. But if you don't ask them, they're not going to tell you. They're going to answer the question you ask them because they're polite. Mm. So, so what are we doing today is a really useful question. So you said, I love talking about purpose. If, you if, if, I'm, if you're coaching me and I come next week and you say, so we talked last week, we talked about your vision. Let's talk about your values today. Then we'll talk about my values because you told mm. me to. Whereas if you say to me, so how are we doing on, on the purpose question? Which bit of the purpose question do we need to be thinking about together today? I'll say to you, actually, I want to think about what's my purpose after I've submitted my manuscript on the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go how will how will you know that we've moved that thinking forward a bit by the time we finish this hour and I'll go actually I'll have a bit of a sense of what I'm meant to be doing for the next nine months yeah this is can I just tell you that this is actually really useful I've got an insight there but anyway how is it really brilliant <laughs> So, so in Simplifying Coaching, which I submitted to the publisher as lockdown, just after the start of lockdown one, 
And just before it went in, I'd written about what the coaching organizations all call contracting. The whole book was about contracting. And I had this dis-ease because people get confused about contracting because it sounds like confidentiality and who tells who what and how much and how often and how many and all of that stuff. And I was on the phone to a friend about my anxiety about it being published. And she said, Claire, your anxiety is, the, is too big. You need to make it the right size. And I can remember, she, she said, what have you got that you can put to one side? And I had a post-it note. So I screwed up this post-it note. And I was in a coffee shop. It was before the coffee shops shut. And it had a little hole in the brick in the wall. And I put this piece of paper in the hole in the wall. And, and I said, OK, I'm going to leave my anxiety there. And after we'd finished the call, I went back to my manuscript on my computer screen. And I was just thinking about her saying, make your anxiety the right size. And I thought that is what we do in coaching. We need to make the conversation the right size. So with two weeks to go, which is where I am now, I had to go back and I had to rewrite the whole thing because it had the wrong word in it. But I'm really grateful I did that because... When you say to people, what you're doing is too big, you need to make it the right size, they go, oh, yeah, it is too big. And actually, if the only thing that you do, if you're a coach and you say, so which bit of that is the bit we need to work on today, you're beginning to make the work the right size. And if you're not a coach and mm-hmm. you're listening to the, to the show because you're just interested in, in development for yourself, mm. if you're worrying about something, Say to yourself, which bit of that am I worried about? Or which bit of that can I take control of? Or which bit of that can I move forward? Because which bit is an awesome question. That is a very good question, actually, yeah. Because if you say, Claire, will you coach me on finding world peace? And I say, tell me what world peace means to you, Natalie. Then I know all about what world peace means to you. But you don't know anything that you didn't know before. Yeah. And that's not serving you. So I go home and I go, Natalie Miller-Snellman thinks this, oh, well, peace, that's very interesting. And you go away going, well, I still don't really know what to do. It's framing it differently. It goes back to what we spoke about earlier. It's trusting the process. It's being brave and it's not knowing. Yes, and it's, and it's recognising that it would be completely st- fantasy I nearly said something else it'd be really it's fantasy to imagine that a coach can cover off somebody's entire list of things that they need to do that's bonkers what's important now yeah what's important now and what's one thing that we can move forward in this conversation that's going to make a difference yeah just it's the pressure and yes the things that the sponsor said the person wanted to work on they will they 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 will trickle through when the person is beginning to make the changes that they need to make. We do not need to come to an understanding of the meaning of life in a 30-minute coaching session. Exactly that. Or how to manage absolutely everyone that we're ever going to have to manage. I mean, it's crazy. Because we are all beautifully unique individuals. And we arrive at the space together as equals and open. And we only need a little bit of a movement to have a really big impact. 
exactly that. The smallest changes sometimes, the smallest thinking can have vast and huge impact on how we move forward. Totally. But if we try and do too much, you'll lose track of the one little thing that we thought about at the beginning that was actually the game changer. And this goes back to keeping it simple. Oh, this has been magic. Honestly, Claire, absolutely loved it. I suppose to kind of conclude this thinking and perhaps even wrapping up the, the, the podcast too, what would you say is important that we haven't yet covered in all of this beautiful thinking? I think I just want to say if you're a coach or if, if you're not a coach, you know, you are a beautifully created human being and, it, and the whole of everybody else's burdens is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to be a good part, traveling companion to people around you, whether that's people that you coach or people that you work with or people you live with. And yeah, and just do a little bit that's going to support them to move forward a little bit. Mm. And the acquisition of more and more and more and more knowledge isn't necessarily going to make you better at that. Oh, that makes me, well, that gives me joy inside because there is that and I've had it myself. Oh, I've got to go and learn this now because imposter jumps on your shoulder. You know, I don't know. It's about holding the space. It's about being there. It's about listening and it's active listening, just allowing that person to show up as who they are and talk about what they need and ask them, you know, what's the, what, what bit do you need to work on? Where do you want to be in half an hour? Can I be really honest with you? Every, every so often, every few weeks, probably, I say to myself, are you completely deluded? Because you're so, what you're saying is so dissonant from what everyone else is saying. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe they are right that you need all that theory. And then I go, that's not true. Because it's very, it's, it's, it's very magnetic because we live in a society that says you need more of this and more of this and more of this. That's going to cost you more money, of course. Yeah. So it's the work that I do on myself as a human that makes me a better coach. So I did the Camino de Santiago de Compostela in September with some friends and the biggest learning for me was I confidently went for this 600 kilometer walk having confidently done brilliant training and I was fit and I could carry my pack and we got a plan and it was all marvelous and then on the 10th day my foot popped and I couldn't walk and I first wanted to do the Camino 10 years before that. So it was a long held dream. And I'd, I had really carefully managed everything. So I'm in the middle of nowhere in Spain. I hobbled with my friends to the nearest cafe that took some time, like an hour or more. Um, and I just said to them, I can't do this. But I'd been dreaming of it for 10 years. I didn't mm. speak Spanish. They couldn't stay with me because we needed to head on to somewhere else. Andrew, who was uh, one of us who spoke Spanish, went into the barman and said, my friend is sick. Can you get a taxi to take her on to the next place? And I trusted that I wouldn't still be sat outside this bar <laughs> by nightfall <laughs> and that somebody, you know, something would turn up. But I had to learn how to not be in control, how to not know. I had to learn how to travel across northern Spain on buses where there are no timetables. And there are no bus stops and there's one bus a day, but you don't know where it goes from or what time, what time it goes. And if you ask people, they go, 
in Spanish. Of course, I, I could ask them in Spanish after a couple of days, but I couldn't understand the answer. But I did it. Yeah. I learned more about coaching in that 10 days, like seven days, than I have ever learned from a book or a course. Because I learned how to absolutely not know and how to just trust the process. Yeah. And I met some amazing people. One of them, one of them messaged me on over the weekend. And she, she said, my body's broken, so I was thinking of you. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> you know, and, I, and then I had to find a doctor and all of those things. And I did start walking again after a week. Well, I limped. I limped 350 kilometres to finish the walk because I really, really, really wanted to do it. But, but that's, that's where I learned about this stuff. You can't learn it from a book. Yes. Some of the stuff about vulnerability and courage and not knowing, we've got to learn that in life because otherwise we're learning about it and, and the outcome of that is we just take more control. It's, it's this beautiful, it's magic, and it goes right back to the beginning of the podcast and why, why I do this. I love to understand people's story. I love to hear about people's lived experience because that informs how we are as individuals and it informs how we process and work, connect and explore. You exploring the vulnerability, you exploring the, the not knowing, links into every single thing that you have mentioned about coaching, about being present in the space, about listening, about trusting, about exploring, about being open, about not knowing. It all works. It's it's like it's a cycle. It's life. It's about being present, being open, and walking through the door. And kind of things don't work out necessarily how we want them to. And I hope your foot's okay, by the way. Well, it's it's getting there. <laughs> okay, bless you. <laughs> Thank you. And then and how we how we navigate that? How we move forward? What do we need yeah. to do next? Working with the immediacy. Yeah. Okay. What's what's important now? Where do we want to go? How do we get there? You know. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I learned that today I needed to get to San Vincente de Barquera and, and tomorrow I needed to get to the next place. When I thought about having to get to Santiago, the day that it broke, I sat in a square. But it, I wasn't broke, but the day it popped. I sat in a square talking to my daughter, crying my eyes out and going, I'm going to have to come home, it's over. Da, 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 da. And I, I realised that actually it wasn't about getting 500 kilometres from where I was. It was about... It was about getting 15 kilometres today and 17 kilometres tomorrow. And and the rest would sort itself out. Yeah. And that's the same in coaching. We just need to get a little bit further today. Brilliant. This has been magic. I cannot thank you enough. I wish you an incredible day ahead. And just thanks for joining me, Claire. Well, thank you for having me, Natalie. And thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care. Look after yourself. Keep well. You have been listening to Seize the Day with Natalie Millisnell. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to seizetheday.simplecast.com for all of my other shows. If you're interested to hear more about coaching, please visit nmscoaching.co.uk. If you'd like to chew the fat over some of the topics in these podcasts, please come and join me at my Facebook group, Dare to Be You. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening. 